you guys tonight. I have asked Pastor Billy to share this evening. And uh, if you haven't been around, Billy's been with us for quite a while now. But um, a 30-year veteran of uh, pastoring churches, I like to say that. And so um, he's, uh, he's great. He's my friend. Uh, and and uh, I appreciate him very much. I know you guys will too. And so uh, with that said, Billy, why don't you come up Amen. and uh, let us have it. Let us have it. Give him heaven. Give him heaven. <laughs> hey, you know, um, the scripture says give honor to whom honor is due. And he's going to hate me for doing this, but could we give Pastor Steve a round of applause just for everything he does? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I only do that so he'll ask me to speak again. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. It is always an honor to be here with you guys. Angie and I, uh, we've been here two years now. It's amazing. We came and uh, we were in Key West for a while and, and just came and, and were members of the church for um, almost a year or so. And then we had our two grandbabies back in Texas. So we moved back to Texas. If anybody knows anything about grandbabies, they have that pull on your heart, you know? So we moved back to Austin where we had a place. And um, while we were there, God supernaturally called us back to be a part of this church, specifically to be a part of this church and, and to stand with Steve and Alice and the team and just kind of help. So we're here part-time on staff. Uh, we do real estate as well, up and down the Keys and all throughout Florida, actually. But um, anyway, I'm excited to be speaking tonight. And I want to begin with the most amazing joke that has ever been told in Keys Vineyard history. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can't wait for this one. <laughs> so <laughs> that was so sarcastic. Some of you are like, I can't wait for this one. Yeah, okay, thank you. What lies at the bottom of the ocean and shakes a lot? A nervous wreck. <laughs> Man, thank you. I am going to be here all week, and then I'm going to open for the movies on Friday nights. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Listen, I want to talk to you tonight about a topic that was on, has been on my heart for weeks, uh, actually probably a few months or so, and I like to do this. I like to, whenever I get to preach, I like to share kind of what's in my heart and what God's doing in my life and, and the challenges that I'm having and then the breakthroughs that I hope take place in my life. And we're going to look at two scriptures to start off that are very familiar to many of you. Some of you, they might be new, but others of you, they might be very familiar. The first one I want you to look at is John chapter 10, verse 10. Could you turn there with me if you have your Bibles? We're going to have it on the screen, and I'm going to read it to you. These are the words of Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 10. This is what he says. The thief comes only. Everyone say only. The thief comes only to do what three things? What does it say up there? What's number one? What's number two? And what's the third one? Let's say them again. It says the thief comes only... There's no other reason. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the reason the enemy comes to us. He comes to us to steal from us, kill us, destroy us. Why does he do that? He does that because he hates us, but he really does it because he hates father, and we're father's kids, so he hates us too. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay? Here's the second scripture. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I think it's another familiar passage to some of you. We're going to read uh, verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the what? Schemes of the devil. 
Uh, some of you in your Bibles might have the word wiles, W-I-L-E-S. It can be translated schemes, wiles. It's an interesting word. The New Testament was written in Greek. It's an interesting Greek word. Let me tell you the Greek word and you tell me what English word we might could transliterate over in the English from Greek. The Greek word is this, methodia, where we get our word, what do you think? Methods. So it says right here, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the methods, the schemes, the wiles of the devil. Now let's talk about that just for a second. When we hear the word method, what we think is a systematic approach to things. Yes, that is true. But there's far more to this word. In the New Testament, this word meant something like this. It was often used for military strategies that were well thought out against an enemy. So they would use this word method because it was cunning, it was crafty, it was deceitful, and it always had to do with kind of manipulating the enemy's mind. And it says, we've got an enemy that number one, we learned in John 10, 10, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then we find out in Ephesians chapter six, this enemy comes and he's got crafty, cunning, manipulative schemes to take us down. What's interesting in, he comes to prod at us, to find our weak spots. My dad grew up in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. I don't know if you know where that is. It's way down where Brownsville, Texas is. My dad was a Golden Gloves boxer. Anybody hear the Golden Gloves, those tournaments years ago? Well, because of that, when we grew up, dad put the, you know, the, the, big, uh, the big bag in our garage and the speed bag in our garage, and he would teach us some things. Now, when we were learning, one of the things dad would teach us is when you're in a boxing ring and you're boxing, Some of you know this, a boxer will many times, the bell will go off, round one starts, and a boxer will probe, and he'll probe and probe, and he's looking for the weak spot. That's what the enemy does. That's what this word is all about. He's crafty, he's cutting, he's scheming, and he's looking for a weak spot in you so he can land the blow. Does that make sense? Okay. Why do I set everything up with that? Because we're gonna talk about one specific blow of the enemy on you and I, that it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned Christian or if you're a brand new believer in Christ, it doesn't matter. He gets us, all of us with this, or at least he attempts to. We're gonna talk about it tonight. What it is, is fear. Fear. Anxiety. Worry. The enemy comes after us, and that's one of the blows that he tries to get us with. To fear life, to fear our future, to fear our tomorrow, to fear someone, to fear something. And it causes us to be anxious, and it causes us to worry. Now, let me tell you some things about fear. This is what I've learned about fear. Fear usually begins in me as a thought. And then that thought moves to an emotion. The emotion begins to stir up inside of me so much that the emotion begins to dictate to my actions. The emotion does. Fear starts as a thought. It turns into an emotion. The emotion begins to affect the way I think, the way I act. It affects decisions I make. It also affects my perceptions. Sometimes this emotion affects my perceptions of myself. Sometimes it affects the perceptions I have of others around me. Sometimes it affects the perceptions I have of my circumstances. I began to get pressured. I began to feel manipulated. I began to feel cornered. Or maybe you feel kind of claustrophobic in your heart because of what's happening, because of this worry and anxiety and fear that takes place. 
I find it true that many times at night, not many times, but there are some times at night when a certain thing happens in my life, something happens in circumstance, and all of a sudden I go to sleep and everything's fine, and then about maybe 12.30, 12.45, one o'clock at night, boom, I'm awake. And I think, oh, I'm gonna go back to sleep. But right when I try to go back to sleep, guess what happens? There's a knock on my mind's door and some issue or problem in life begins to enter into my mind's door. And so then I work at it and work at it and work at it and it steals my sleep and steals my sleep because I'm anxious and I'm worried and I start going, what if, what if, what if? Has anybody in here ever sang the what if song in your heart? Yeah, thank you for being honest, one of us. <laughs> Amen, okay. And then what happens, I finally go back to sleep and then about 2.13, it happens again. And then about 3.12 and a half, it happens again. And then about 4.55, it happens again. And before you know it, I think, forget sleep. I'm just getting up, making a cup of coffee. You know, it's that kind of a thing. That's, and the enemy knows where to get us. The enemy knows how to get us. Now, here's what we're gonna do. There's a ton of stories about fear in the Bible. It began in the garden. Adam and Eve were afraid they were gonna lose out on life. So they took the fruit and they ate it. Listen, fear has started from the very beginning. That's one of the enemy's top strategic tools to get us, to debilitate us, to paralyze us and to take us down. Because if he can get us into fear, we get out of faith. Okay, I'm gonna talk about two stories real quick. That you, we're not gonna read them, I'm just gonna tell you about the stories because many of you will know these stories. Mark chapter four, there's a great story that's very fitting for the keys because it's about some men, these disciples that were in a boat and Jesus is teaching the crowds on the shore and then Jesus is in the boat with them and he says to the disciples, many, many of you know this story, he says, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. So the disciples start going to the other side of the lake and the Bible says that Jesus falls asleep on a pillow in the stern. So he falls asleep, he's peaceful, and then what happens? Somebody tells me what happened. A storm comes. Now listen, the Bible says it's a fierce gale. The storm of all storms kind of a thing, so much so it says the boat was battered on all sides. It says that water was starting to come into the boat so that the boat was about to sink. When that happened, guess what happened to the disciples' hearts? What emotion do you think rose up inside of them? They were afraid. When they were afraid, they went to Jesus, who, who is still asleep. Can you imagine being in the storm of all storms and you're asleep on a pillow in the stern, water everywhere, and you're just, that's amazing to me. So they come to Jesus and it says, they say, Jesus, we're gonna perish. Don't you care that we're gonna perish? And Jesus, in my mind's eye, I think this, he gets up, he stands maybe one foot on the, <laughs> the side of the boat and he raises a hand toward the clouds and says, hush or peace, be still. Truth is, he may have just been laying there and he might've gone, shh. <laughs> Who knows what could have happened? I mean, why do I have this image of him you know, this is Jesus, you know. He could have died uh, and then gone back to sleep. Who knows? But the Bible says the minute he rebuked the winds and the waves, what happened? It became peaceful again. That's Mark chapter four, Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is teaching. He's ministering all day long. He goes up on a mountain by himself to pray, be encouraged in his father. He sends the disciples across the same lake by themselves. Why by themselves this time? Because his crucifixion and death is about to come. He's about to be raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of his father. And he's trying to train these disciples. Now, you need to know how to do this on your own. 
You see what I'm getting at here? So now they're without Jesus in the boat asleep in the stern. They get in the boat, they start going across. It says the waves, the storm, it's contrary. They're trying to row. They're trying to get somewhere. They're scared for their lives. They're afraid for their lives again. And now something else happens in this story that causes them even more fear. They see this ghost walking on the water. Who's the ghost walking on the water? So they're not only afraid of the storm, now they're afraid of their solution. Their solution is walking up to them. You know the story when Peter says, bid me to come to you. And Jesus says, Peter, come on out. So Peter starts walking and then he he sees the winds and the waves and he becomes afraid. And then he sinks and Jesus grabs him. And then this wonderful miracle takes place. It says, when Jesus steps in the boat, everything calms. He just steps in the boat and everything calms. Now, I want to use those two stories and those two storms, and I want to talk to you a little bit about fear and how it affects us. And there's a couple of points I want to make. The first thing I want to say to you is this. The disciples were in a storm and there was no denying it in both of those stories. The disciples were in a storm and there was no denying it. Billy, what does that mean? It means this. There is a big difference between facts and truth. There's a difference between facts and truth. Let me explain. A doctor's report of bad news in your life or my life is a fact. But the truth is a little different because the truth is that Jesus can see us through. Do you see the difference? Sometimes we so focus on the facts that we forget to overcome the fact with the truth that Jesus can see us through. Jesus will be with us. Listen, that is so important to get a hold of. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Okay, let's back the story up a bit. Here's the nation of Israel and they're standing on one side of this valley. Here are the Philistines. They're standing on the other side of this valley and this huge valley in the middle And everyone's just kind of shouting at one another, but then this big giant from the other side comes and stands in the middle. And this giant's name was what? Goliath. Goliath is taunting the nations of Israel. They aren't doing anything. They are paralyzed by fear. The fact is that's a big giant in the middle of this valley. That's the big giant. That's the big fact. Now, here comes this young shepherd boy on the scene. David comes up, he sees the same situation. He sees the same scenario. He hears the same tauntings, but David doesn't let the facts overwhelm him because he's standing on the truth of this. He says, my God can overcome this uncircumcised Philistine. Where they were paralyzed by the facts, David was on the scene saying, yeah, the facts, there's a giant here in the room. Don't deny it. Denying it doesn't help at all. Whatever you're fearful of, whatever I'm fearful of, there's no denying it. It's there. Whatever's making me worry, it's there. Whatever's bringing anxiety, it's there. But listen, and by the way, I want to tell you this. Anxiety and worry and fear is not a sin. Partnering with it up here is. Anxiety and worry, coming in, coming in, trying to come in. That's not a sin. 
partnering with it so that it paralyzes, so that it debilitates me, so that it stops me from functioning, so that I start thinking on it and meditating on it rather than I do the truth of who he is and how good he has been to me and how good God will be to me. There lies the issue. Does that make sense? So listen, the fact is they were in a storm. To deny it was not gonna help the situation. Here's number two. In both accounts, the boat was not the problem and neither are you. In both of these situations, the boat's not the problem and neither are we. Billy, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. A boat is designed to float on the water as long as the situation on the outside doesn't get in on the inside. Listen, we're gonna face storms in life. We're gonna face things that are gonna be trials. We're gonna have Goliaths look us right us in the face and taunt us. We're gonna have issues, whether it's financial, whether it's family, whether it's, whether it's our future, whether it's our finances, whether it's, with, whether it's our health. We're gonna have issues, a loss of a job, whatever it might be, we're gonna have those issues that come into our life. But folks, listen, God has, 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 as believers in Christ, God has built us with the ability in the Holy Spirit to be able to float on the water as long as the situation on the outside doesn't get in on the inside. In Genesis chapter six, it's an interesting story. It's about Noah. God tells Noah to build an ark. Here's what he says. He says, I think it's verse 14. He says, Noah, I want you to build this ark. And when you do, I want you to pitch it on the outside with tar and pitch it on the inside with tar. So right where the joints meet right there, where the wood would come together, he says, I want you to pitch it with tar on the inside and I want you to pitch it with tar on the outside. Why would God tell him to do that? Because that tar was gonna keep something, water from penetrating in between those cracks. It's also important to pitch it on the inside and pitch it on the outside in preparation for what is going to come because a flood was coming. God would have never said, oh, you know what? Pitch it on the inside, pitch it on the out, but you're never gonna float in this boat anyway. He was telling Noah to build a boat because there was a flood coming. Folks, let me tell you something. If you haven't had a flood in the past few years, or if you're not in a flood right now, there probably is a flood in your future. I hate to say it, I'm not gonna speak that over us or prophet or whatever, you know, but I'm telling you, I'm looking at life and I'm saying, gee whiz, you know, we've got floods. I mean, how many times I've got three kids and they're wonderful kids, but every now and then my kids throw me a flood, you know? And Angie and I are like, gee whiz, okay. So pitch it on the inside. How do you do that? Why do you pitch it? So you keep that which on the outside from getting in on the inside. So important. Here's number three. Don't fight against fear, fight for love. Don't fight against fear, fight for love. What in the heck do you mean? Look at 1 John 4.18. Turn there with me, if you will. 1 John 4.18. Let's read it. I'll read it out loud. Let's read it together off the screen. Everybody together. Here we go. There is no in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. It says perfect love does what? Cast out fear. Everyone say cast out. 
Say it again. What casts out fear? Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love cast out fear. Don't fight against fear, fight for love. What do you mean? Let me share real quick what this means. The word for cast out, you mind if we do a little Greek lesson again? The word for cast out is interesting in Greek because it's a compound word, meaning you put two Greek words together. They're simple words. The first one though is an intensifier. It means that when you put it with a word, it makes the word big. Let me give you an example. When you have an earthquake in the earth, and where, where, where the center of that earthquake is, what do you call that? The epicenter. The word epi in Greek is an intensifier. And so it's put in front of center and it's the epicenter. It's the most powerful place of the impact. Make sense? This word also has a prefix to it that's an intensifier. Here's the prefix. It's kata, K-A-T-A. T is in Tom, K-A-T-A, kata. Kata is an intensifier and it usually intensifies something that's high coming low. Something that's high coming low. The next word is lambano. Lambano, is t- it's, it's, a, it's a word that means to seize or grab. So when you put them together, the word is catalambano. And what it means is, it means to grab a hold of something in a high place and then seize it and bring it down to a low place. It says love catalambano's fear. Love in our life, love for what? Understanding father's love for us and then falling deeply in love with him and that intimate relationship of love with him, grabbing a hold of that can grab a hold of fear in the high place of our mind and cast it down to a low place where it belongs. You follow this? I'll give you another example. It's a displacement word. So if I have this Kleenex box, there's no way to balance it here, but if this Kleenex box were here and and I wanted love to replace this because this is fear, It's a word that is so intense, it means that love, this has to be displaced. How? Love displaces fear. You follow that? Okay, now how does that take place? The last point. Understanding God's love is not a concept. It is obtained through an what? Everyone say it. Encounter. Understanding God's love is not a concept. Folks, this is so important to grab a hold of because you can hear God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love, and you can hear it. But actually getting it from here down 16 inches to here is a completely different exercise. It's not a concept, it's an encounter. Let me illustrate. Angie and I have been married for 34 years. If I told you that we've been married for 34 years, but she lived back in Texas during these 34 years, and I lived here in these 34 years, and when we said, I do, I moved here, she moved there, and I've written her letters for 32 years, and I tell you, oh, but I love her so much, you would go, what kind of relationship is that? Because we never have any encounters. We can talk, I can tell you all day long, oh, I know she loves me, and she knows I love her, but there's been no encounter of love. When I was pastoring in San Antonio, we had uh, this, we, we would have a staff meeting once a week and we would have this conference table and we'd bring in our staff and our interns and we would do these kind of fellowship building exercises, you know, just to really kind of open up and share with one another. And I remember one staff meeting on a Wednesday morning or something, we were sitting there. One of our interns said, you know what? I've, I've got a question to start the day. She said, um, I think it was Danae. And she said, let's all talk about our favorite point in a day. What is our favorite part of a day? 
So we kind of sat there and it started going around the room and people were saying lunch because it's tacos, you know, or something. I, I'm from San Antonio, so tacos are a big thing. Okay, so, you know, it's, it's, it, all kinds of things came out. It came to me, my turn, um, the senior pastor, I was, I was last. When it came to me, I was thinking about it and I said, well, you know what? My favorite part of the day, to be honest with you, is early, early, early in the morning and late, late, late at night, I love them the same. And they said, well, why is that? And I said, because it's when she and I wake up side by side together in the morning, no one else is around, no other voices. And we just sit there and hold each other. And we just talk and we enjoy one another. And then late, late at night, it's my favorite time as well. Cause then we get to lay down in bed again. We just get to hold each other and we get to talk and share life and whisper and the lights are out and the phones are off and no one can interrupt that time. That's my favorite time with Angie. Listen, those kinds of encounters is what builds love. If you're not having those kinds of encounters with Father, then you're missing out on love. You've got to have those because it's love that casts out fear. I've found in my life many, many, many times now when the enemy comes in at night, or during the day or whenever, but many times for me, to be honest, it's at night when I wake up and everything's quiet and I'm just, I'm just there with my thoughts and then it enters. When that happens, if I start trying to say, change the subject, you know, like zippity-doo-dah, zippity-doo, it doesn't work. <laughs> but if I lay there and I meditate, Father, you love me and I love you. And I begin to recount and recant those wonderful things things that we've done and he's done for me and our love encounters. I remember a time alone with him in a, in a walk-in closet we had in a house and, and I was laying with my back against the wall and the lights were out in the closet and I was just praying and I was about to end my prayer and I said, Father, I love you so much. And in my heart, almost as clear as I'm speaking to you now, I heard him say, William, I love you too. And it was such a shock to me because my name's William, but nobody calls me William. I don't call myself William. And yet in my heart, I heard, William, I love you too. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the times where I've been in prayer and one time in a church and I, it was just a prayer meeting and it was just music softly playing and I was laying down on the floor in between two pews, just, just seeking him. And all of a sudden waves of love fell on me and he just told me, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I began to weep uncontrollably. Hadn't planned it, I'm not a crier. And I began to weep uncontrollably. Those things, it's like when David said, you know how I know Goliath can fall because I've killed the lion and the bear. God's done that through me. So now when those things start coming in my mind, I try to say, you know what, God? In love, we've killed the lion and the bear, so this thing's gonna go too. Love casts out fear. Catalambano, it seizes it from the high place in your mind and it slams it out of your life where it needs to be. Don't fight it on your own. It's best to listen, concentrate on the antidote, not the disease. Fight for love. Find time for him. Make time to encounter him and let him encounter you. Let me pray for you.
Father, this thing of fear is, is huge. And so many of us in this room deal with it, some in an overwhelming way that even tonight they probably wouldn't want to admit even if they had the opportunity. Some even walked in this room this evening, probably cloaked in fear. I ask you, Father, that you would come and encounter us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come reveal Father's love for us in a way we've never experienced it before. And Lord, for those that are staying, impact them tonight. For those that are leaving, impact them on their drive home. I pray that you would help all of us to know that it's about fighting for, for love and understanding and encountering you and the love relationship we have and not about fighting the fear in our lives. Why don't you say this? Just say, thank you for loving me, Father. Just, just to yourself, out loud, whatever works for you. Thank you for loving me. Maybe you say, Holy Spirit, reveal Father's love to me. Holy Spirit, reveal Father's love to me. Lord, a fresh baptism of love tonight. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never ever accepted Him into your life as Lord, tonight you are here because He to meet you in a personal way. It's humility and faith. Pastor Steve says this all the time. Humility, admitting we're sinners, we've messed up. The Bible says all of us have, all have sinned and fallen short. But then in faith, believing that he died for us, died for me, died for you, so that we could be set free and no man and no father and experience life in a brand new way.